podcast with me phil and me paul and on this week's show we're doing another target novelization well it's not strictly target this time which we'll come on to later but it's another novelization of uh, doctor who and this one we're doing is power of the daleks yes saying it's a fact it's a little bit different because we're actually comparing it to the audio yes. version <laughs> yes we're not doing a target book and we're not comparing it to the visual tv no series. no but uh right, we'll, so. we'll, we'll explain all later but uh, as you know, we, we, we've been away for a for a couple of weeks, and um, well, as Paul's been, but <laughs> we've been away for a lie down. <laughs> well, as Paul's, Paul's Paul's been away, I've been horroring myself out to other podcasts again, haven't I? So <laughs> you just can't help yourself. I can't can help you? myself. No, um, uh, as you probably, if you listen to Proctor Who, I, I was on the episode uh, released during the June sort of the week, uh, which I had a lot of fun doing. It was uh, an absolute sort of pleasure to take part in. So uh, that one is out now. We talk about the Sea Devils. And it was uh, it was a lot of fun to do. So um, so please go and listen to that as well because they're they're a great bunch of chaps. Uh, now um, obviously we've got two weeks of news uh, to catch up on, haven't we? Yes. Yes. And um, as I sort of tagged on to the end of the news section on our previous podcast, that um, <laughs> as always the way with us, as soon as we recall the news early, something momentous happens, doesn't it? Something monumental occurs. And, of course, it was announced that Doctor Who will return to our screens on Saturday the 19th of September. Surprised? Um, yes. <laughs> Same here. Very, <laughs> very surprised. I haven't actually, yeah. I keep meaning to work out, but I've been away. Uh, where, does that, where does that leave it finishing? What date does that finish on? Oh, I haven't even bothered to figure that one out yet. Maybe our listeners can, can do it for us because we can't be bothered. <laughs> and you'd think it's going to end up being quite close to Christmas. Well, at this rate, yeah. This rate, I'm beginning to wonder whether the last... Well, no, actually, the, the, the last episode won't even air for the, at the Doctor Who Festival, whatever it's called. Exactly. No, because people was working that one out to be... That that was the last episode. Yeah. It came back on the August bank holiday, weren't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, it's coming back, what, three weeks later than that? Hmm. It's, well, it, it, it surprised about, me. That would have to be somewhere around about, what, the then sort of like beginning of December. Yeah. It's going to be the... The last episode. Yeah, it would be. That's that's absolutely incredible. Um, good news for me, though, however, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> yes, he was delighted. I you? was delighted. For once, I can do my mini event on August Bank Holiday and not worry about missing the beginning of Doctor Who. So <laughs> It's all about getting your priorities right, isn't it? Charity or Doctor Who, you know. So. Yes, how are their only poor kids? <laughs> Oh dear! No, so I, I'm I'm extremely pleased about that. But obviously, this is old news, to everybody. And of course, at the same time as that announcement, we got a trailer as well, um, which obviously came out of um, you know San Diego Comic Con, and uh, this time it, it was released all at the same time. Uh, what do you think of the trailer? Yeah, interesting. I have to now remember it. What what the things I think the most been away for three weeks. Well, I think I think that's the thing. It it didn't give anything away, did it? No. As as trailers should be, it gave nothing away because I think if it did, then I think you would have remembered it, wouldn't you? So it it should ask questions rather than provide answers. Yes, indeed. I mean, everyone's asking the question about you know who the Maisie Williams character is, just based on what she says at the end of the trailer. Uh, I think people. Probably reading a bit more into it than than there is really, but oh well. well you we'll you, you almost suspect that was a line written. 
just to be put in a trailer. Fan bait, isn't it? Yeah. So. <laughs> in, in the same way as we used to get the kiss in trailers. Yes, indeed. Just to wind fans up. Yeah. yeah I think this, and this and is... they turned out to be completely... Indeed. It's perfect, perfect um, fan fodder, that one. Yeah. It really is. But uh, no, I'm sort of um, really pleased it's, it's, it's coming back. And, and really, later in, in the year, it means it's dark Saturday evenings again, as it should be. Yeah. Really, so I know it's not you know it's not that dark on in September, but uh, the evenings begin to draw in a little bit, don't they? What it, what it does mean is we've got to find another three episodes to fit in. What we wouldn't have to bother about. <laughs> oh well, folks, you're getting more of this crap. <laughs> okay, now another thing that came out, uh, which Paul I know is absolutely ecstatic about, we got a, a trailer for Doctor in Lego Dimensions as well. Um, which is now featuring the voice of Peter Capaldi, Jenna Coleman, and Michelle Gomez. And it was quite an interesting little trailer, I thought, actually. Did you watch that as well, or you couldn't be bothered? Uh, well, actually, I couldn't be bothered watching the trailer. I did see some of the um, fine clips from it. Yeah. From the actual presentation and whatever. Yeah. And I must admit, some of that looks pretty good, actually, I have to say. Yeah. I mean, what I like about it, you can actually get the chance to play as all 12 Doctors. Yeah. Um, which, which I, think, I, think, I think that that really was the surprise, wasn't it? it yes, I thought so as well because I mean, obviously they haven't, unless they have got sound clips of all previous actors or whatever. Um, mate, I don't know, but uh, but obviously Capaldi is the. I'm trying to say his name correctly, Capaldi. I said Capaldi before. Um, obviously, he's the only Doctor providing his voice, uh, you know, or actor providing the voice of the Doctor. Uh, so it'll be um, no. I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming out anyway. I, I, shall, I shall give you a review. <laughs> yes. I shall let you know what it's all about. But that's um, due to be released on the 27th of September. But what I understand, you have to. there's other little bits you, or different add-ons you buy to sort of build the game, like a Lego set, as I understand it. So it's not just... Um, huh. There's other sort of franchise add-ons you can, you can get. So whether Doctor Who's one of them or it's a part of the original release I, or the proper release, I don't know. So... Um, I just find it all a bit confusing to this my uh, adult brain at the moment. <laughs> but um, anyway, you're just you're just too excited to think. Aren't I am. You? I am. I'm just, I'm just beside myself with joy. That that is it, really. That is it. But uh, yeah, so that that was um, obviously for for us, we 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 missed the news again there, didn't we? So. <laughs> Oh, crikey. Now, another thing that sort of sneaked out under the radar, really, um, and it was hidden away, uh, uh, as, as it says in this article here, on the page 32 of the BBC Worldwide Annual Review. Um, and this was on Tuesday the 14th of July, and basically it's the first official confirmation that Doctor Who Series 10 has been commissioned. Yes. Yes. Um, not surprised, really, are you? Um, no, not really. Not, not, not with the BBC, not sure where Top Gear's going. Well, no, exactly. <laughs> there was um, no way that surely they was going to let another one. Well, especially as it was announced this week that now that Doctor Who is the BBC's biggest global brand, yeah. it's, over, it's finally overtaken Top Gear now. Yeah. Uh, so I think if the BBC were to, um, especially the, sort of like the, the pressure the BBC's under at the moment as well, with this so-called um, new charter coming up... Um, this is just another feather in their cap, really. Mm. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just pleased. It's all it's all out in the open. There's, there's no at least now there'll be no talk of all oh, bad viewing figures. It's going to get cancelled. Um, you know, it, it always comes out in the press when a new series of Doctor Who comes out. So uh, yes, there there you have it. Series ten is confirmed 
Fantastic. Just uh, waiting to see who's the who's the who, showrunner. Who's the showrunner? Who's going to be? Is Capaldi going to do another series? Who knows? I hope he does, but we haven't seen mm. this one yet. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope he does now. Yes. <laughs> Give it till December the 2nd or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, another thing that was announced um, just after we put our last, um, our last episode out was Michelle Gomez and Ingrid Oliver have been confirmed for the Doctor Who Festival in November. Yes. So there's a couple more guests um, announced. Um, quite telling that at the moment that Jenna Coleman doesn't appear to be on that roster. No. Which is, um, unless she's off filming something else, it could be quite that could be quite possible. Yeah, uh, I mean, you re- think if you're if you're an actor on this, you only have so much time. I mean, because yeah. usually, when they when they do these things, other than the obviously the fiftieth, mm. but when they did the Cardiff one, yeah, it was during filming, wasn't it? They it took, was. Yeah. So they basically had everyone under contract to be there. Yeah. I suspect if they're not under contract, there's there's certain points where act, the actors are able to go off and do other stuff. Yeah. And they're not going to turn down work to do this. No, that's right. But obviously it's a long time between now and, and November, so she could be added to the roster at a later date. We don't know, do we? No. Yeah, so... Um... And yeah, they'll be looking to um, <laughs> announce guests at different points just to... Yeah, keep... exactly. Just to keep the sort of momentum going, yeah. don't they? Yeah, keep the interest... Um, I, I haven't actually heard if it's sold out yet, actually. No, I haven't either. No. Hmm, usually, there's usually something about how quickly it's sold out, because um, I was actually amazed I actually got online first time without trying umpteen, you know, umpteen attempts to get tickets. I just got it, bang, I was in, done. Which is the first time ever. So it's either the BBC have finally got their act together, or no one was really interested. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are the only people going. <laughs> well, it suits me, mate. <laughs> No cues. Ingrid Oliver will get a photo opportunity with us if she looks early enough. <laughs> yeah, so now she'll be doing an acting masterclass and tell Michelle Gomez how to play the master correctly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God dear. knows what official merchandise she'll be selling. <laughs> well, God knows. God yeah. knows. <laughs> well, you know, you finally get that autograph of, of mine you've always wanted, Paul. So. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, now, um, on to sort of more recent news. Um, now, it's been announced um, yesterday, actually, on the 22nd of July, um, that there's going to be a cinema outing for The Magician's Apprentice. Now, don't get too excited. It's not going to be um, another um, sort of like nationwide showing at the moment. It's just been announced it's going to be shown on the 27th of August at the Edinburgh International Television Festival. Now, don't wait, just wait, say wait. it's just the first episode. So if it's a two-parter, you're going to be left on... You know, yeah. in suspense for a few weeks, aren't you? I mean, they, they always do, don't they? I think they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, usually, things, it's, yeah. The, it's their flagship thing, isn't it? To show. Yeah, I'm beginning to wonder if they've done that. Um, whether they're going to do something similar at the BFI again, like a week yeah. after. I'm no longer a member of the BFI. So are you? <laughs> Was that in disgust? <laughs> Well, only, sorry, that's what it sounded like. Isn't it? I'm no longer a member of the BFI. Well, no, the only, no, I feel quite ashamed because the only reason I joined the BFI, the BFI was to get Doctor Who tickets in the, in the anniversary year. So, to all those events they had. And even that didn't cart trumps every time, did it? But, uh, oh. 
Yeah, no, that's a fact. I've told up my story as to why you're no longer allowed to be a member of the BFI. Well, it's an, it's an anecdote I'm saving for the Doctor Who Festival in November. <laughs> when, when I do my first panel. Film <laughs> <laughs> um, Institute's what not to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, crikey. I'm, I'm going to give Dick Fiddy a piece of my mind. <laughs> Oh dear, I wouldn't do that. I like Dick Fiddy. I think mean, he's uh, <laughs> he's good. Um, now this um, this uh, event um, in Edinburgh is it has sold out already. Yes. So yeah, so don't even bother looking for tickets <laughs> unless there's touts outside or something. But this one has sold out. So, I, mean, it, it's, I can't remember now because I think yeah. the, as you say that they've always done this there, and that BFI tends to have always done the press screening, doesn't it, on whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um. I'm trying to remember what they did for the two parters with um, Matt Smith. Did they show both or did they? I think they showed both, didn't they? As an uh, hour and a half film. Do you know what? I can't remember. It's such a long time ago now. Mm. It's probably one of the podcasts I've been releasing lately, one of the old ones. It's probably on there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, if you listen to the latest thing we've released. Yeah, which was, which was dated from about four years ago then. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's probably on there. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it's but in the archive. It is in the archive. It's it's out there now. So I've, I've, do you know what? I've only got about another eighteen episodes to put up now, and we're and we're oh. nearly done. Oh. oh, was that the sound of cheers? It was. It was for me. So I don't bother doing it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh crikey! Right now, I'm on some other news. There's some other news that sort of came out after um, our, our last um, podcast. Was that so now we, we we spoke about and I actually mentioned this on on the uh, this was my little news item on Proctor Who as well. So if you've heard that already, forgive me. I'm about to repeat myself. Uh, but uh, Yanto Jones is returning to Torchwood in the range of uh, Big Finish audio stories uh, that are coming out. Yes, we speculated on whether they'd have. Yeah. Now, who, who else they'd have? Yeah. Now, at the moment, it sounds like they they're like standalone character stories because it says the um, the character returning full to Earth, following on from John Barron's return as Captain Jack Harkness in the opening instalment, the Conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. So it does sound like they're like standalone character stories, and may, maybe they're going to come together at the end or something. I, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. We have no idea at the moment. No, we don't. Um, now, apparently, it was. This was wasn't going to be released till next year, uh, but because they managed to get so many people on board at the moment, it's going to be released um, in October. So you got the Captain Jack story um, conspiracy in September, and then Fall to Earth, the Anto Jones one, will be in October. Um, then I think it says here that I think the others will be out next year. Yeah, so, so it's going to be uh, formal releases will follow up monthly intervals through to 2016. Doesn't actually say when that when that is, but uh, but if they're going on board, they might be. Quick succession of releases, you don't know, do you? Well, I, I, I suspect there certainly, if, if there's been enough interest in the release, the announcement of the uh, John Barrowman's one, yeah, I suspect they then felt, oh, actually, there is quite a bit of interest here. So, what we want to do is to, to follow that up. To otherwise, if we leave it too long after the first one, we might have killed the the interest in it. Well, especially as Yanta Jones is an extremely popular character, yeah. Um, I think it makes sense to keep that momentum going. You've got John Barrowman, you know, he's you know he's he's not you know he's not uh, he's not just like a cheesy 
sort of theatre or, or, or sort of light, light entertainment star? Because that's what he sort of sold himself as after his time on Doctor Who, didn't he? He was sort of become sort of some, you know, the 21st century answer to Bruce Forsyth, who was doing all sorts of things. But the bit where he stepped out of character rather than yeah yeah rather rather than he, he changed direction completely after Doctor Who and became well I'm going to say it, it's I mean fair play to him actually because I think you know he, he's come back to doing audio stuff it's not television that's probably not what he wanted but I think because he just loves playing the character Mm. He would just do anything for it. Well, I think, well, you know, fair play to the bloke. And it sounds like, you know, oh, he's, he's, he's obviously got a, a a soft spot for for the whole thing, hasn't he? So, exactly. Yeah. You know, you can't. You really can't knock the guy for that. You really no. can't. So, um, so there we go. So that's that's something to maybe that's what we're doing for big finish um, stuff. In oh no, that'll be well after because that'll be middle of the doctor when we're doing any big finish reviews. Then will we? So no. <laughs> well, that time of the year, but. Um, yeah, oh, we haven't got much time between the end of the thing and December and Christmas now. So. No, we haven't, have we? Crikey! <laughs> As we keep saying, As we keep saying, yes. I wonder what we're going to what we're going to do now, really. Oh well, never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. Um, now, um, next up, now that something else happened during the um, San Diego Comic Con, is that uh, Terence Dix was awarded the 2015 Faust Award, um, and that was from the International Association of Media Time Writers. Yeah. Of a mouthful that one, isn't it? Um, but basically, it's a lifetime achievement award. Just for, it's for, the associates made that of writers of original tie novels, comic books, and short stories based on existing characters from movie, TV series, books, games, and cartoons, and novelizations based on screenplays for movies and TV shows. Again, the crack out was a mouthful. Um, yeah, so basically, it's a lifetime achievement award for towards that genre, really. Um, and which, again, sort of, which sort of actually, when you think about it, why, why, why only now? I oh, know, I oh, know. All the years he's been doing it. Who's, why now? Who, who has been better qualified to to get an award than he is? No one, to my mind, to be honest. Um, and it's well deserved. It is really well deserved. I mean, we've always um, we've always enjoyed these when we've reviewed these target novelizations. Um, they've, they've always been interesting and. He's always added something extra to the story um, when he's allowed to. Yeah, you know, there's only been one duff on from him so under, far, isn't there? Well, so it's, it's just a question of under the pressure he was under to. He did the to, best to he could in the time he had. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So uh, no, no, that's I'm, I'm really pleased he's got that. So it's long overdue. Um, and I think whilst he's still with us, I think we should sort of cherish him and what what he's contributing and what he's still contributing, really. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Now, unfortunately, we have to we have to end the news on on a on a sad note because um, Olaf Pooley, um, who played Professor Stallman in my favourite Doctor Who story, Inferno, has passed away at the grand old age of a hundred and one. Yes, we we were celebrating his hundredth birthday last year, wasn't we? We were. It was doing. I can't remember. We were doing a commentary at the time. We was. We? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can't remember what, what the what the commentary was now, but uh, yeah, because he he just done some paintings and stuff, which he was sort of promoting at the at the same time, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, as we said, sort of last year, he's one of the only um, sort of actors that's sort of done Doctor Doctor Who and um, Star Trek as well. And what I didn't realize is actually in Star Trek Voyager, it was an episode called Blink of an Eye. I don't remember that at all, to be honest. But it doesn't lessen it. It doesn't lessen it at all because I say I thought I, I, I loved him as in Inferno. I really did. He was. I think it was a a perfect foil to uh, to John Pertwee in that. Yeah. I really, I really thought that, and um, 
Yeah, so um, if, if I had a glass, I, I'd raise it to you, sir. I really would. But uh, yeah, so a sad note, but it's like 101. That, that's that's uh, as I as I like that old cliche. That's a damn good innings. Innings. Yes. innings? <laughs> innings. Sorry. Yes. But uh, but I, I mean, going for sort of like the other stuff he's been in, like Dixon the Dot Green, Paul Temple, Jason King, and MacGyver. Yeah, I've not never knew that. So um, I think he's probably one of the, the few actors that has been in Jason King and MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> um, but apparently, also an uncredited, um, he was an uncredited writer. This is a bit amazing on the 1985 sci-fi horror movie Life Force. Oh right, yeah, I never knew that either. No, um, Life Force isn't a great movie, but it has got its its cheesy charm. Put it that way. It's one of those good bad movies if if you believe in such a thing. <laughs> I've actually heard of it. So oh, you never you never seen it? <laughs> I, I, I think I have actually, but vaguely. Oh, you, you must remember it, Paul, because it's got a woman walking around naked in it most of the time. Mm. Mm. No, it's just ah, ah, it's all coming back to you now. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Patrick Stewart in it as well. Oh no, now you're talking. No. <laughs> Oh dear then, right, okay then, so um, that's it for the news this week, uh, we haven't got anything for Tat Corner, because um, we couldn't really find anything worth talking about really, could we, so so we'll save that for another time if, if we find anything, so uh, next is our review of the novelisation of The Power of the Daleks, so for another week then, that was the news. <laughs> Well, I'm going to say target novelisation, and uh, as we said at the top of the show, we're, this what time we're doing The Power of the Daleks. Now, this book was first um, released in July 1993, written by John Peel, uh, based on the script by David Whittaker and an uncredited Dennis Spooner. Now, I said this was a target book, but not a target book, because this was actually the first uh, novelisation to be published by um, Virgin, under the Virgin New Adventures, but it still went under the target banner. Which yeah, because it was still familiar to everybody back then. So, um, yeah, so, on Target website, they sort of disowned it, haven't they? Yes, they have, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so obviously, this this is slightly different to what we've done before. Um, so, what did you think of this, Paul? Um, with that all said, mm. I, I have to say, yeah, I really loved it as a book. Yes. Um, and I yes. sort of slightly feel guilty about that because you sort of realise. You think so? What? What you? Where I'd be now coming to you and saying, "Oh, what I really liked about this book was this, this, and this." Mm. If you're then, you can't compare it to the other Target books because it wasn't written under those sort of restraints, time scale. No, whatever. No. Um, um, and this shouldn't be taken as any criticism of any other writer of a Target book. No. Anything I say now going on about this. No, that's it. I want to make that clear from the start, but I yeah. know this is well, something the, the that Vir- is... I mean, I, haven't, I must admit, I haven't read any of the Virgin New Adventures. I, it, no. it, it just never... Um, it, it never come on my radar when, when Doctor Who was cancelled. It just never... I just wasn't into Doctor Who at that point. It was still there. I knew of it. I bought the odd de- like video back then, um, but I didn't read the books. It was something I did as a kid. Um... So the Virgin books just sort of passed me, you know, passed me by, really. But this is sort of kind of the first one I've read, and it's a longer book than the, yeah. the, the standard Target one for a start. I mean, I mean it is a proper novelisation. It is, yeah. 
Um, um, and it's a lot more adult as well, I found. Yeah. And, but but as I say, not to be any way being disrespectful to anybody else who's written target books out, as we've just talked about, Terence Dix. Yeah. And that it is it is a different animal to those. Oh yes. Um but yeah, I very, very enjoyable. Oh god, yeah, I I really, really enjoyed it. Um now obviously we we're, we're we're comparing this because usually we compare it to a, a DVD or, or televised showing of, of Doctor Who, but this time we're comparing it to what's well, based on an F, and that's the soundtrack. Um, yeah, to, to the power of the Daleks. Um, I suppose, really, what what did you think of the actual the actual sort of televised audio? What's left of it, you know, um, version? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's good in places. I I must admit, I started to listen to the to the to the audio first before mm. I read the book. Yeah. And sort of stops, and then went and read the book, and then listened to the audio back. I think I enjoyed the audio more having read the book than I did. Yeah, trying to follow it straight up. It has to be said how the book has really has got to the characters. Hmm. Yeah, I feel a lot more into the where people are coming from. Yeah, because it, it it wasn't obviously. I mean, I don't know, because he, he, he looked at the original scripts um, that David Whittaker wrote, and uh, it says that there was author notes. Did you look at the, read the author notes at the end yeah. of the book? Yeah. Um, and apparently, Which was written before Patrick Troughton was cast. Yes. So, that, so they didn't actually know what his Doctor was going to be like. No. So they had to sort of rewrite, I think it was Dennis, was it, I think that's where Dennis Spooner came in, wasn't it? Because yeah. um, David Whittaker was off doing something else and couldn't. Couldn't do the rewrite. In Australia or somewhere. Yeah, that's it. Doing something. So Dennis Spooner um, wrote a lot of the, you know, the, you know, the Trout and stuff. Um, which, as you know, Dennis Spooner is he's more of a, he was he has a bit more of a light-hearted approach, doesn't he? To his scripts. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where maybe that's where he sort of he, you know, he, he sort of wrote the the Trout and stuff a, a lot more light-hearted than say he would have done for Hartnell. Um, I suspect. I, mean, I suspect they just knew where they was good once. Yeah. Once they met, once Trouton had that's it. Uh, started to go through it. I suspect. But they... what? But what he did though was he restored a lot of David, David Whittaker's original lines that were trimmed, um, to make way for for, for Patrick Trouton's characterisation of the Doctor. So, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know what was actually um, what was actually put back in, but there was something that. Sort of to, to me, sort of like says, yeah, this was a, this was a trim line. I'm, I'm going to suspect this might have been one of the things that was trimmed. I just want to read this read this out to. You. It's when um, the Doctor is trying to convince Lesserson it's a dangerous idea um, to to you know revive the Daleks. And the line says, "The best that I could give you, my dear Lesserson," the Doctor told him just as kindly, "would be to put a loaded pistol to your head and then pull the trigger." Yeah, spinning on his heels, he stormed out of the room. Ben darted after him. Um, now that's very dark for for Troughton's Doctor, isn't it? Mm. Now that bit caught me by surprise. And that's what I'm saying. It's a lot more adult than the standard um, Target novelisation would be. Well, I, I, I think really there's 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 also very few characters in this that are uh, resoundingly good. <laughs> no, they they've all got um, their, their own motivations. Not not any of them are very good either, are they? No, They're sort of. You know, even, I mean, even Quinn, who, who turns out to be sort of the hero of, of the colony anyway at the end, um, it, even he, to begin with, it was all, 
it was all against the rebels, and he, he, that's why he called for yeah. the, exa- the exam- uh, examiner. Um, so yeah, even he wasn't one of the good guys, really. There was no real good guys apart from the Doctor Ben and Polly. I mean, the the like like most likable person in the book to a certain extent, where at least where you could see where they was coming from and yeah. why they joined the rebels and whatever. Yeah, uh, isn't actually in the TV. Thing, and it's fine. The fine, doctor. yes, indeed. So that was created just for the. Now, again, I don't know if this character was created just for the book, or, or was was cut. From... Yeah, from the from the script. Yeah, yeah. who knows? Um, don't know which way that one went. Yeah, but yeah, there there was actually you, you felt then where the because actually a lot of the time through this book, other than um, Fane's uh, talking about the fact of the skimping and the. You know, there's not the medical resources and yeah. whatever. Is the fact that you're actually trying to work out exactly what are the rebels rebelling against? Exactly, that is not because because the governor the seems to be liked. Yeah, the governor. Well, the governor. The whole point about it is is they've got to get rid of an of a popular governor. So, yeah. well, that, yeah, could, exactly. That was not explained in the TV version. They just had rebels. No. And that, yeah. that was it. You just took it at face value. But as, least, as to why, I mean, it's just gen- generally, there are rebels about. You know? Yeah. So I mean, at least Thane um, was introduced or reintroduced, whatever, whatever way it is, just to give some backstory on, on the real reason why they, the people were rebelling in the first place. And the, and the whole thing about the um, the fact that it's um, a corporation running. Yes. The, the it, was moon a, it was a com- it was a commercial venture, wasn't yeah. it? Basically, yeah. Which doesn't come across at all in the, as far as I, I can remember, unless I missed that bit. No, it doesn't. It doesn't the, come across. No, you're right. In the TV stroke audio, yeah, yeah. Which it, actually then makes more sense of why you'd have then rebels and whatever as well, and and the fact that it's all profit based and yeah, why there's not the infrastructure and. Yeah, it, it was sort of like your typical big corporation being cut- done on the on the yeah on as much as the cheap as possible. Exactly, profits before people, that sort of thing, wasn't yes. it? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that that I mean that was that was one of the one of the good things about the book. It did sort of give some sort of, sort of solidity to the rebels, re, you know, reasoning, doesn't it? So yeah, which I thought which I thought was good. Um, Otherwise, they're particularly un, un unappealing. Yeah, generally Valmar and. Kibble are just not nice people, are they? No, they're not. So especially the the, the Kebble character. He really yeah. isn't likable whatsoever. Um, now, actually, the one thing that sort of did sort of surprise me there was a quite a long recap um, for for the end of the Tenth Planet, and it undoes what the because we covered the novelization of the Tenth the Tenth Planet, haven't we? Sort of some mm. time ago, and it ended with that really weird thing of the Doctor climbing into a metal casket to regenerate. Yeah. Or, or renew himself as they as they um, as they say, and they still say in this book as well. Um, but this actually follows on directly from what happened on the television. He, he collapses at the TARDIS console and regenerates. And it says, including his clothes and, and everything. And I, I couldn't help thinking on this one: was this um, was whoever did whether it be David Hill, Dennis Spoon, just having a play on this because. Or whether it was just actually a typo in my version of the book. All right. Because when they take off and leave, it says they leave the 1990s. Yes. Um, and, and the thing about Moonbase, uh, or oh, sorry, 10th Planet, Planet, was yeah. um, that they basically, was it the TV was set in 1986 and the book was set in 2000. 
<laughs> so you thought, oh, let's just throw another date in there. Let's throw the exactly. 1990s in there as well. Well, the thing is that, and you didn't know whether that was actually done on purpose. By... Well, well, Attack of the Sidemen was set in 1985, wasn't it? A year, yeah. a year before um, yeah. the events of the 10th planet. But uh, but the interesting thing is, in, in, according to this book, Unit mopped up all, all the sort of after, sort of what was left yes. behind, I should say, at the, at the end of the 10th planet story. Um, and it's now Lieutenant Benton and Sarah Jane Smith were involved yes. in the clean-up as well. Um and then talk. I mean, talk about the unit dating controversy. <laughs> there, oh dear. I mean, again, I thought that was a bit of an unnecessary adding, really. Yeah, it, it, it didn't really add bit... anything, did it? To be honest, no. It, it was just sort of trying to, really trying to put the the continuity into it, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And I don't think that bit didn't quite. Really it didn't no. work. No, no, exactly, exactly. It's. Uh, that was a bit weird, but um, now as we were talking about um, sort of Jan Lee as well, you sort of mentioned she, she was one of like the rebels, but she was uh, Lesterson's um, assistant. Yes. Um, now in the book, as I've made a note of this, she, said she was described as sort of really as ferociously bright, um, but then it sort of got into this sort of thing about amazingly attractive and simple fatigues failed to hide her perfect form, mm. and every single male. Um, in the story, was in love with her, weren't they? Basically, <laughs> well, there did seem to be a lack of women around. Didn't they, they did, yeah. Um, but the thing is, she was—I think she was the most manipulative character in the book, and more so oh. than she was on the te- on the te- televised version. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah, because I think in the televised in the televised version, I think it's only really um, Valmar that's actually acknowledged as being. Uh, under her spell, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Everybody but even, else, but even, but even sort of have some sort of perving over a little bit as well, yeah. doesn't it? And he's and, of... and Quinn, doesn't it? Even like you know, with the with the button where she offers to sew his tunic back or whatever. That's it's right. Like yeah. he, in normal circumstances, he'd have loved to have had it in his or something, <laughs> wasn't it? Is that you should sew my button any time? Right? Yeah, I just thought it was sort of like every bloke on the base was in lust, we were all in love with, with Jan Lee. Right? But actually, but then again, and even that part though is the yes, ferociously bright, you know, and whatever, and fiercely determined and power hungry and that. But there she is offering to sew the button on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, women have come a long way in this. Haven't they, they have, haven't they? <laughs> Um, but I think, I mean, also, I think another a slight little couple of mistakes that I think the author made was to um, give away Janley's intentions a bit too early, and the same with Bragan as well, because it came as a bit more of a shock, I felt, on the audio or televised version. I, I don't really know what to call it, really, but let's just go with televised version. Because um, it sort of, it was after Resno was killed by the Dalek in Lesserson's laboratory. Yeah. Um, and he said she was filled with darker emotions at the well, point he was killed. And I thought that sort of gave it away just a little bit too soon, I, th- I felt. Well, in actual fact, if, listening to the audio, I mean, I don't know whether it does did come across on the TV. Mm. But you actually ne- not, wasn't actually pointed out in such great terms that Resno had actually died. No. No, even the TV there's, there's, version there's it no... left, you, left you a bit more... Yeah. There was the, the fact that she... she Crouches over the body and then rap starts rapping it as uh, Lesterson leaves the room. Mm. 
But there's no actual definite definite part on that that he's dead. Whereas in the book, you actually get no, she he's he's dead, and she drags him over to a quiet corner of the room. Yeah, that's it. To be disposed of later. So it almost it, on the audio, if you don't know the story, that because his his de- actually being dead is as much a shock to you as it is to Lesterson. Indeed, you see, you're really seeing through Lesterson's. Uh, I'll say it again, Lesterson's eyes, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Is, is that better? That a uh, skill for the tongue? Is that? Lesterson? It, is, it is for me actually, <laughs> Lesterson. <laughs> Shall we all say it until he comes into the room? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and th- other other um, bits that uh, you don't quite get on the book that you do on the, the audio, just uh, randomly now picking bits while I remember them, oh, okay. <laughs> um, is the fact of the uh, where the, da- the Daleks are saying, we are your servants, mm. or the Dalek is saying, I am your servant, uh, after it's been shown into the governor's room. Yeah, is what doesn't come across in the book, of course, is the fact that you've got the doctor saying no, 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 mm. they're evil and that, and, and you're getting the the doctor saying we are your servant. But what you don't realise until you listen to the audio, of course, is the fact that the Daleks are drown saying it to drown out the doctor's pleas yes. to to get rid of them. Yeah, it's not just. A, a a manner of speech. It is the fact that they are actually doing it for a purpose. There. Well, I actually quite like that 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 particular scene because I, I actually sort of made a note when the, when he's the doctor's trying to convince her on the danger of of what yeah. Lesson's done. Lesterson, I can't say it again. Um, has done when he when um, he's, he shows off his recently activated Dalek. Um, and it's like when the sort of the doctor tells the doctor to immobilize itself. Yeah. Lesson tries to hit him. He tries to attack the Doctor, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, and the, the, the Doctor's parting shot is, meddle with the Daleks, Lesterson, you're a dead man. Yeah. And again, it, it was so... It didn't feel like Troughton, but I, I felt it was... I thought that was that was better handled. And again, maybe it's one of the trimmed lines for, you know, from the, from the original script. Because it, 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 I think the, the, the Doctor in this book, I think, was trying to convey the, the danger... That they were unleashing upon themselves a lot better, yeah. In, in the book version, I, I, I so I felt anyway. But I mean, um, but you're right though. It, it the, the the TV version does show that the Daleks are trying to talk over the top of the Doctor. Yeah, which of course you, can, you it's difficult to to portray in a in the written form. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was. Um, well, I think another another thing because obviously the, the you know one of, one of the other real villains of the piece and this is Brain. And, and also actually with that scene, that scene in the book goes on a bit too far. With you think um, in on the TV thing, it's just the Doctor says about uh, to immobilize yourself. Yeah, and the Dalek looks at him and then drops the eye stalk and he, when he goes out and it just says the thing about um, oh it was a bad order yeah. on whatever. You don't get the whole Lesterson being all pleased because it can work, it can lie. And you think at that stage he should have realised what was yeah. happening. Yeah, that was too too much, really. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that, actually. I do, I do agree with that. It was... It, was, it was treating Lesterson as a stupid man, which he clearly wasn't or wasn't no. meant to be. No, that's right. He wasn't. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. Um, I think, I think another character was again was given away a bit, to, or their intentions were given away a bit too quick. Was Bragan? 
Um, I just thought the TV version did that a, a lot better. It sort of held yeah. it, it held it back a little bit. Um, I just thought like John Pill just gave away his betrayal just a bit too quickly. You, you sort of realised quite early on in the book that he was up to no good. Yeah, the the, the, the painting of the back picture to people mm. showed you who they were, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, which I can understand when you've got a book, you can you can do you know you want to give your characters some sort of depth to them. Yeah, but in doing so, yeah, it did give away exactly what the characters were. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, but as I say, I mean... The only, the only one it, I think it, it kept pretty much as to where it was was Quinn. Yes, he didn't change too much, did he? Because really? he, didn't, he didn't try to um, talk him round the fact that, you know, that to give you any hints that actually this was a complete setup. And at some point we should have mentioned spoilers before we started doing this. Oh, we should have done. But I'm not going to say spoilers for, for a story that's, what, <laughs> you people can't watch. You can't watch, indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, it was... Um, it Unless, just... of course. Well, <laughs> if yes. You, and if you've got a copy of it and you're watching it, I hope it is spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> you've been saving it all these years. Yes, yeah, sodger. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was just... Um, I thought another thing that... I, I, actually, one of the things I thought the author did do really well was the... Um, he really played on Ben's mistrust... Yeah, of the new Doctor, mm. and I thought that that was better handled in um, in the book than, than yeah. it was than it was on TV. I really do because, because obviously, obviously you've got more of what Ben's sort of thought processes more, haven't you? Yeah, you've got you've got the inner monologue, haven't you, going? So yeah, um, and I, I really hate to, to say it, but I mean, Michael Craze wasn't the best actor in the world, really. Um, no, but you know and. And I just thought it just it just covered better in the book, really. But 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 you can cover it better. I mean, you they have got more room to to manoeuvre. I mean, again, we yeah. don't know as to how much it's was was cut out and how much was in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, because it's not necessarily the major bit of the plot, so it probably is the easiest bit just to leave. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's the easiest bit to put in as a as a novelisation to take it. The bits where he's yeah he's 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 not sure and picking up on whether the doctor's mentions the doctor in the third party and yeah why does he call him the why does he said oh the doctor would have known but you're meant to be the doctor you know that sort of yeah I mean that that bit was, wasn't too dissimilar to the TV version but I don't know it just seemed to come across better in the book for some reason yeah and and you sort of get the more the I don't know where it just does, but you just get the more the the fact that the doctor's actually playing along with the fact that he's not actually trying to. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I impress think... upon the fact that he is them. To, he, he's not trying to convince them. There's part of him that's actually saying, "Oh, this is a fun game. You're not sure of me." Yeah, yeah. I think it, the, the book does highlight the second doctor's intelligence a lot more, and that and that mischievous side to him. Yes, um, because I think. I think if you were to watch this in 1966 and you've watched, you'd be watching William Hartnell for the previous three years, and all of a sudden you've got this completely different take on the character, and it must have been quite a shock to people back then, really. And I like the fact that they actually put that into the story because it was a shock to his to his companions as well. I mean, it's an interesting idea that hasn't really overly been looked at again, is it? Of the fact that what happens if the companions aren't there at the regeneration? Well, the ones that have, well, the ones that have are kind of 
just sort of got on with it. I suppose the only one that hasn't really has been um, Rose. Because Sarah Jane's witnessed a, a regeneration, hasn't she? Yeah. And just seemed to take it all in her stride. But, but she did actually yeah. see, Rose did actually see the regeneration. Oh, she did. It's just she didn't understand it. Yeah, but that, that was... Whereas here, you've got actually... Well, Ben and Polly saw the regeneration, but they didn't understand it either. That's what I'm saying. It's the first time, I think, since then, since the, when the, the first Doctor changed it, the second Doctor. But this is actually what I'm yeah. trying to work out is, did they? Because they see him going to the TARDIS, and they know he's wearing... Well, I think they did, because I, I, I'm... What I can remember is they did see him regenerate, and they couldn't... Because doesn't Polly say, you saw it happen? And he's saying, no, it must have been some trick. And yeah. Obviously, it, it go, it's better than, obviously, if they kept the, the original ending of the novelisation of the 10th planet, no, they wouldn't have seen him. No. Because it would have been just like a, the, the, like a magic cabinet magician's trick, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, which I think this is, this is what sort of Ben was sort of alluding to. You know, the real Doctor slipped out and you just, just sort of taken his place. Yeah. But no, it, I thought... But I thought it was it was it was well done. But the one thing that sort of did make me laugh um, again was sort of everyone was was sort of like perving over over Janley. But it was Polly fancied Quinn, and 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 Ben fancied Polly as well, didn't he? Yeah. Um, You've got the yeah the just the fact that sort of love triangle yeah, her, going on there. Sort of. her, he wasn't very impressed by Polly's um, defence of Quinn, was it, and the reasons for it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's sort of like. <laughs> And now on a very special edition of the Love Boat. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was just really. Um, I just thought that was that was peculiar. And again, it didn't really go anywhere, did it? But I suppose it sort of um, gave a bit more sort of background into the characters, I suppose, didn't it? Whether that was continued in, in any other books, I don't know. Probably not. Mm. I, th- I think it's probably a case of you're looking at what would be the relation of Ben and Polly through a later. Uh, idea of of what you'd have in the the companions, so to speak. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's quite possible. As it? as a, they tended to be reasonably, the relationships between all the crew of the TARDIS tended to be reasonably asexual, didn't it? Exactly. It wasn't, yeah, they weren't at all attracted to each other, and I think that was basically how it had to be, wasn't it? Do, I, I think I during think that period was, on, it, on children's TV, it certainly was. It so, certainly was. so this is very much written as to a 1990s look at the at that period. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right there. Actually, um, now another thing. Sort of about we're talking about the um, the love triangle. I thought that this book, <laughs> the love boat, the love boat, <laughs> the love boat. Um, <laughs> we just turned it round. We're just going to talk about the love, the love boat now. Um, I actually thought the story was a lot more the the, the 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 written version was a lot more violent and and possibly gory than than what could, they could get away with on the television. Um, I mean, just want to sort of read this particular line. Actually, um, it's I think it's when it's when Hensel is killed. Actually, yeah, and it says the garlic's dunstick rose, centered and fired. Hensel screamed as the deadly rays tore into his body, ravaging every last cell, exploding them from the inside out. Then he collapsed to the floor, his corpse smouldering slightly. Um, and there was a lot of that description when, when Pip was shot by the Daleks, so that they smouldered Yeah, a lot. Um, it, it just like, um, I mean, just reading that description, it's an agonising. Everyone knows it's, well, you, what you see on the, on the screen, it's an agonising death. Yeah. Um, and I haven't read it quite so much with that level of description before. To no. be honest, um, 
I mean, at the end of the story, even on the TV, it's a bloodbath. Nobody sort of really gets out alive, do they? Well, actually, I must admit, on the listen to the audio, the bit at the towards the end where it's talking about the fact that there's just loads and loads of bodies. Yeah. And the music to that is actually, I think, quite more chilling than whatever the book does for that period. I say I love the music. I think I think it's yeah. actually I think it's actually just Tristram Carey's um, score for the Daleks. Yeah, that was reused for this, but it suits the story fantastically. I thought. Yeah, I mean that, that, that just that bit, the music to that bit, where it's just talking about the the fact that there's nobody seems to be left alive. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was that was that was amazing, and Bragan's death at the end. Um, I can't remember on the audio version. He probably just gets shot once, doesn't he? And then sort of. Sort of collapses, yeah. but in the book, he's shot three times, and the last time straight in the head. Yeah, um, which you just wouldn't get away with, would you? In, no. in, in, in I think I was going to say you wouldn't get away with in one of the original Target novelizations, but I have read the novelization of um, Ian Martyr's version of um, Oh God, I forgot one with the Wirren in it, the Tom Baker's second story. Ark in space, space yeah. Ark in space. Um, his descriptions of Noah's transformation into um, a Wirren is a, one yeah. hell of a lot more graphic than what they could ever yeah. have got away with on television. And actually, I'll probably say what they could even get away on, with on television now. Yeah, to be honest, it, it, it really is. Um, but I thought that this was sort of pushing it. I think for a you know, Doctor Who novel and still being released under, under the Target banner. I think they were sort of pushing this as far as they could go, and it was, and I say it was a lot more of a, it was almost sort of like that they were sort of running it for the well, okay, the the Doctor audience has grown up now. Mm. The show has been cancelled, you know, for you know for for four years. Um, these people aren't people reading it now are, are looking to relive their childhood rather than yeah, um, being kids actually yeah finding it for the first time yeah precisely. Um, so I, I think on that. I think on that count, I think he, I think he, he's, he's done a good job, really. But um... I mean, I mean, Lesterson's descent into madness is quite. Um, you just, you sort of really do feel sorry for him in the sense, of, although it's all yes. by himself. Yeah, I, I think the book handles that better as well because I think the the the, the televised version, Robert Jones plays Lesterson. I think it's, it's a little bit too OTT. It's a bit too quick. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very quick. All of a sudden, he's, he's quite normal. Then all of a sudden, it's, um, hey, see, I told them, didn't I? Yes, and it's, it gets a bit very manic yeah. very, very quickly. Um, you have you have the, the the breakdown, don't you, in the book? That's... Yeah, and it's a sort of a, a very slow, or a slower descent into madness, isn't it, really, yeah. than, than anything else? Uh, and I think I think it, it, it worked quite quite well, I, I found. You know, it's... Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a very long. It's probably it took, it's the longest it's taken me to read one of these books, um, but I must admit I enjoyed every page. Yeah, to be honest with you, I really did. What about, what about uh, yourself? Is, have you got uh, any, yeah. any any real criticisms criticisms of it at all? Um, no, I, th- I think the criticisms that you would say of, of what you've highlighted and whatever about the fact that perhaps some of the um, guess bits <clears throat> of who is right and who's wrong and motives and all that are taken out by the book yeah you learn too much about the characters too quickly yeah that's right um that would be my one uh criticism of the book yeah but it's just trying to flesh out the characters yeah that's it 
That's it. Oh, actually, there's one other thing that he did um, introduce into this book. is the mention of Gallifrey, which at that point in in the, t- the show's history, it yeah. wasn't even thought of, was it? So, um, no. again, I, I don't... I've got no problem with that because everyone knew that at that point, didn't they? If, if this yeah. novelisation had come out, um, say, like a, a few months after it was televised, then I could, I could understand people got Gallifrey, what the hell's Gallifrey? This guy's just making it up, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously with, with this, it's just, well, it makes sense to, to drop that in because everyone knows it. If, if they're sort of trying to keep it a, um, a secret or because they just didn't know what his planet was called, when they, when they were writing the stuff back in the sixties, um, I think if he if he kept that and tried to keep it a secret, it wouldn't made have made any sense. Yeah, yeah, did, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, just just thinking while you're saying that, yeah, you know, actually talking about the things that what was the, I actually did quite also quite I actually quite like you got the internal monologue of the Daleks. Yes, you did, didn't you? The the one that sort of realizes, oops, I'm I'm giving too much away too quickly. <laughs> Was, like, like the author, yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably quite an yeah, actually. <laughs> it's an internal remark to the author, I don't know exactly, <laughs> but yeah, you know, when you sort of realise actually right from the start how much they were manipulative, the yeah. Daleks were manipulative to 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 what was going on. Well, I think that's one of the, the things that um, people have always championed this story on anyway. Is is the doc, the Daleks are very manipulative in this and and sneaky and devious yeah it's not it's not a right only right at the end is it about force yes and superior firepower i mean basically they they just leave the humans into killing each other yeah and they just mop up the survivors really don't they the whole the whole thing about being willing to give up their guns early on mm. because they know that Sooner or later, they have an opportunity. The, the the opportunities later will be greater. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's almost like our, our, our job would be easier if we just let them kill each other a bit, and then we, we can just move in and you know have have some fun. You know, it, it's just it's. And I also thought the um, the description of the Dalek factory. Yeah. When Lesserson season being built, um, I thought that was very very descriptive, and it made the assembly process rather repulsive as well. I, I thought. Yeah. And again, helps sort of the the whole thing about the his breakdown because mm. you could imagine seeing that would that would tip you over the edge, really, yes. wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, when I, you when you've been so sure that you're just dealing with a robot as well, it's just everything about it was was totally wrong. For, it was to, to yeah. what to how you'd imagined it was ha- what was happening. Yeah. So yeah, it, it made a lot more sense and explains, as we've already said, you know, Lesterson's sort of descent into yeah. you know, his, an, an unbalanced mind, or what you want to call it. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I would, I mean, I've, I haven't really got anything else to say about the book other than I really enjoyed it. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I would thoroughly recommend people read this. I would as well. I mean, I, I think it is probably one of the best Dalek. Stories, isn't it? It is. Um, I must admit, I, I mean, I knew nothing about Power of the Daleks until I bought the um, the audio version of iTunes some some years ago. Um, yeah, and I bought, and I said to you back then when I first listened to it, it's utterly brilliant, um, and I can perfectly understand why. When when there's always a poll to asking people or the fans, or whatever, what is the out of all the missing and wiped. Um, Doctor Who stories. What is the one 
that the people would most like to see come back, and this story always tops that list. Yeah, and I can understand why. I really oh, can. Totally. totally. Yeah. I mean, not not just from the point of view that it's Patrick Troughton's first story and should be, you know, should be recovered and and, and placed back out, you know, for everyone to see. But just the fact it's a damn good story anyway, sure. and it's a yeah. damn good Dalek story. Yeah. So it's three counts there, really. Um, to be honest with you. Uh, so yeah, thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. So everyone at home, you know, please really, you know, go and get a copy of this book and read it. Yeah, it, it is a good story that actually the Target book has done justice to. It is. Or, 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 or Virgin or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. So, okay. So that's, um, I think that's it, isn't it? That is, yeah. I think that is it. So uh, what is coming up next? Well, we're back to Series 2 again, aren't we? We are. We are. So we're back to the world of the 10th Doctor. And we're going to be covering a story I've really been looking forward to to covering. It's the first of the two-part story of this uh, this season, um, and it is the Impossible Planet. It is one of the advantages of, of the new series not coming back on the sort of what is it, the twenty fourth or whatever of August or thirty first of August. Yeah, is the, is the fact that we are actually going to get both parts of this two-parter yes, in? Before. We are now. I had this feeling we were going to review one half of the two-parter, and we'll be back in December to review the other half. Do you know how long this takes us to get through this this series? Through, it's expected nearly two years. <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> We're only putting off what's coming. Exactly. Yeah. Oh God. Right then, everybody. So um, that's that. So we'll be back next week with our continuation of our series two retrospective. So for another week, then it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.